Now the reading this morning is John chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 1 to 26 and then from 39 to 42. And for those who want to follow on in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1065. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and the truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, at St. Stephen's, we want to be a place where anyone can explore the big questions of life, and that's what this series, The Big Questions of Our World, is all about. Um, Graham, we've got a slide there. Um, oh, here we go. Thanks, Prash. Um, now, actually, in your, in your booklets, if you open up um, to the middle page of your booklets, I think you should find some extra questions. Um, a bit like last week, um, this might be a, chan- a chance to discuss what we talk about here on church with a friend, maybe over coffee, um, to start a conversation or continue chatting about today's topic. And um, if you're a regular here at St. Stephen's, uh, like I said last week, this will be a bit different to the talks we usually do at church, which unpack a passage from the Bible. And today we're focusing on unpacking this question. Uh, are we getting happier? And um, actually, I want to see what you think, first and foremost. Uh, last week, someone came to me afterwards and said, I thought we were going to vote on this. And um, I thought, actually, that's a good idea. So I'd like us to vote on this. And we're going to do a blind vote, so you're not influencing each other. So in a moment, actually now, I'm going to get you to close your eyes. Close your eyes so you can't see what everyone else is going to vote for. And put your hand up if you think, yes, we are getting happier. Put your hand up if you think, yes, we are getting happier. And now keep your hands up. And um, everyone, open your eyes and have a look around. Um, I think the majority think, a bit pessimistic, we, we were not getting happier, according to the majority. Now, during the week, as I was preparing for this, I was quite confused. Um, you know, usually for these questions, I like to find out what you know, some people I know think about the question, and then I try and do some, I guess, broader reading and research on the topic. And some of the research that I read, the answer was yes, we are getting happier. So here's an example, a snippet from uh, the World Value Survey, which says that on the whole, it seems like we're slowly getting happier as people. And uh, did you know, actually, in Australia, we have a happiness score, um, whatever that means, of seven out of 10, um, according to the World Happiness Report. And in another report I read, Apparently, 8 out of 10 Australians would describe themselves as happy, um, which puts us as the 12th happiest country in the world. Um, So that's all positive, isn't it? Um, And yet, everyone I asked, and um, maybe it was some of you, uh, seemed to say that, no, we're not getting happier. Um, Maybe I just hang out with pessimistic people. Every single person I asked uh, in personal conversation said no. And I was a bit confused, you know, yes or no. Um, And so I thought a bit more, reflected a bit more, read a bit more. And here's what I think. And here's what I'm proposing. We're much less happy than we expect to be. Uh, We're much less happy than we expected to be. Particularly in the West. Uh, We expect it to be much more happy than what I think we are now. Um, There was an article that I didn't paste onto the slides, I'm afraid, from The Atlantic in America. And it said that in America, the average household income, which is adjusted for inflation, uh, the average household income in America has been the highest it's ever been recorded. And not just that, American houses were on average a thousand square feet larger than they were 50 years ago. 
And so the quality of life, we have more money, more comfort, more opportunities in life, more choices, freedoms, more rights than ever before in America. And yet, this article in The Atlantic was saying, American happiness was going down. And I don't think the Australian story is that much different. Our quality of life, as you know, our comforts, our opportunities for work and for travel, for study, choices, our freedoms, our rights, they're more than ever before. And yet, I don't think we're any more happy as a result of that than we thought we'd be. Um, the survey that I had before, um, I read a bit further to work out how they defined happiness. Um, and what they did was they didn't actually go around individually asking people how happy they were. I think it'd be too hard to do that. Uh, what they did was they used happiness as a score, I guess a function of a number of different things in a country. Uh, the GDP, for example, uh, how wealthy the country is, uh, the life expectancy in the country, how, he how healthy things are there, you know, how much corruption is in the country, all of that, and they put this in some algorithm and they came out a number of how happy you are. And look, if you think about that, there is some truth to that. You know, we all as humans have basic needs like safety, food, health, and when those things aren't there, then of course we're not very happy. But I think we also see that having the best quality of life, the best comforts, the best opportunities and freedoms, they haven't quite fulfilled our desires for happiness. Um, so, um, this is quite a bleak graph um, in our country by generation, self-reported mental health. And you see the trend going down there. Um, more people are saying that their mental health are getting poor as you go younger and younger down the generations. What's interesting about this trend is that it goes completely against our modern story. As I said before, material wealth, comfort, security, safety, quality of life, access to healthcare, access to good education, freedoms, rights, they've all gone up, they've all increased, while this has been going down. Now, last week, I referenced uh, this book um, by Brian Rosner, How to Find Yourself and uh, Not to Look Inward. Um, by the way, this is a very helpful book, uh, whether you're exploring the Christian faith or whether you're a Christian yourself, uh, which touches on all these topics that we've looked at in the last three weeks in this Big Question series. And in one of the topics in this book, he talks, uh, Brian Rosa talks about our modern story, you know, where we have come from as a society. Uh, you know, with every story, there's a problem, right, that needs to be fixed. There's a solution to that problem. And then there is, I guess, a future hope, a happily ever after moment that we're working towards. And he says in this book that the, the trajectory of the pre-modern world and the story of the pre-modern world was that we had a problem. And our problem was that people were not very wealthy, they were poor. Um, you think back cent you know, decades and centuries ago, there was a lack of health care, there, there was a lack of medical knowledge, there was a lack of freedoms and rights in society, there was a lack of comfort, quality of life was not as great, access to education, access to opportunities for life. All that was very low, that was the problem. 
And the solution that we came up with, particularly in the West, was free market capitalism. Free market capitalism. And the hope, the hope that we put into this solution of free market capitalism was that at some stage, at some stage, the majority of people will have all these things that they lacked. Um, wealth, access to healthcare, access to education, opportunities, freedoms, comforts. They would be happy and they would live happily ever after. And well, this is what I think. I think we've actually already arrived here. We have all these things more than ever before if you look at the history of our world. We're living in this happily ever after moment, but we don't feel that happy about it at all. We're much less happy than we expected to be. Uh, in the past, many parents used to say, all I want for my kid is to have a good education, to get a good job, to be able to put food on the table, right? Nowadays, most of the parents I meet, maybe it's just here in Willoughby, they all say the same thing. They all say, I just want my kid to be happy. I just want my kid to be happy. And I think it's because they already have all those things. They already have the good education. They already have the food on the table. They already have the opportunities for work and jobs in the future. The one thing that they're not really certain about, the one thing that's not really guaranteed is happiness. And it's not just the happiness that you get from an ice cream or something like that. It's something deeper, isn't it? It's a deeper, it's a, a lasting happiness, a fulfilling one. That's what we're all looking for. Now, one of the friends that I asked um, said this. They said, it's all about relationships. I wonder if you've heard that before. Uh, they were saying relationships are always more important, more fulfilling than things like money and wealth. And, you know, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And they said that actually, you know, we're so connected now because of technology and social media. But at the same time, if you look at the statistics, we're more lonely. And, you know, there was this uh, New York Times columnist who was saying that most people nowadays have zero people to share a deeply personal secret with. That's how lacking in relationships, that's how lonely that we've become right now. And look, I think all that is right. Relationships do point us to something deeper. But I think relationships is just halfway there. There's something even deeper than that, something deeper that we long for, that we long for within relationships. And this kind of all became quite clear to me when I went to Jonathan's school orientation. Uh, so my son Jonathan, uh, he's starting kindy this year over at Willoughby Public School. And towards the end of last year, we, did, we had to do this orientation with the school where the, the vice principal took us all around and showed us what the school was like, uh, showed us the classrooms, the, the library, and the schoolyard. And for me, it was the first time I've ever been back into a, a, a school, a primary school ever since you know, I was in primary school. It was the first time I stood in a schoolyard as an adult, not as a small, small child. And look, this might sound a bit weird, but I had this moment where when I stood in the middle of the schoolyard, this orientation was going on, but I just had this moment where all these memories just kind of came back and hit me. And look, I remember school being a very happy place, you know, running around, chasing other kids, 
climbing on the play equipment, playing handball. And so all those happy moments, all these happy memories came back to me first. But then I also remembered, I guess, the not-so-happy moments, the time where I was the last one to be picked for a team, the time where all my friends were sick, and so I was really nervous about who I was going to sit with at lunchtime. The time when I did something really mean to another boy just to please my friends. Uh, the times I felt nervous about Mufti Day because I was worried that other kids would laugh at my clothes and the uncool clothes that I had to wear. See, as much as I enjoyed school, I realized that it was also the start of my journey the start of my story to find something deeper, to find acceptance, to find people that would accept me. And that story would go from the primary school yard to the high school yard, to the university quad, to the workplace and the office, and to the home. You know, it's funny how the groups that we we had at school, they're so similar to the groups that we have at life in, in the workplace, isn't it? See, the human story is a quest for something deeper. And that something deeper might be something like acceptance. Acceptance might be some, a big part of what that something deeper is. You know, we earn money, we, we get a career, we, we have a family, we get married, have a family. We put on a certain lifestyle, maybe we buy a house. We create a social media image. Why? I wonder if it's because we want, we're searching for something deeper. And I wonder if part of that something deeper includes wanting to be accepted by others. Uh, as you reflect on your own story, um, has that been a quest for acceptance, for something deeper? The story that we just read from the Bible, that Bob read for us uh, from John chapter 4, John's Gospel, I think we see a similar story in this unnamed woman. And as you heard the story, I wonder if you were able to piece her story together. You know, under the surface, I think we can find in this woman a story about searching for that something deeper, a quest for something deeper, maybe acceptance. Uh, we're introduced to this woman uh, at a moment of cultural shame. You know, the time of the day that we're told in verse 6, uh, it was midday, the hottest part of the day, especially in this Middle Eastern climate. It's the worst time to be doing something like taking a really long walk from the cool shelter of your home, uh, carrying a heavy bucket, and going up to a well and filling that bucket with water. And yet that's what this woman is doing. Why, we might ask. I think we can piece together that this might be a person who doesn't want to be out and about with others. And I think we can piece together that this might be a person who is experiencing some sort of shame, who maybe is not accepted by her own community. A bit later in the story, uh, it's revealed to us that this woman has had some relationship pains and hurts. Five husbands, we're told, and the man that she is with now is not her husband. And so I think we can piece again together. He might be someone who has tried 
to find, to search for something in these relationships, uh, but couldn't find it. Did you notice that her whole conversation with Jesus at the very beginning of this conversation, it was all centered around this metaphor of water, drinking water, and then being thirsty. Drinking water, again, and being thirsty. I mean, they're at a well, so maybe that's the first thing that you talk about. But here's what Jesus says in the middle of that conversation. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. That's what Jesus says. Now, isn't that our story? Isn't that the human story? Drinking water, drinking more water, and still being thirsty? Drinking again and again and again. Consuming and consuming, but never satisfied. There's a, um, in the Alpha course, um, which is coming up later this term, in the opening session, there's a quote that uh, is from Jim Carrey, you know, the Hollywood actor. And he says this, he says, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. What he's saying is that he's got wealth and popularity and all these experiences, but it's all like drinking water and getting thirsty again and again and again. This thirst that we have for something deeper, for something more meaningful, it can't be quenched by these things. And for this woman, all the intimacy and all the relationships that he, she had been through, it just couldn't quench this thirst that she had for something deeper. And I think her story, in many ways, is just a reflection of ours. Our story is a quest for something deeper. Now, apart from this topic of water and drinking and being thirsty, did you notice that this conversation moved on to talk about something else between you know, Jesus and this woman started talking about something else? And that's the topic of worship. And it all starts from verse 20. Uh, verse 20. Uh, this woman says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus replies, Believe me, a time is coming... When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. And at this point, we're brought not just into the story of the woman, but we're brought also into the story of her own people, of her ancestors, uh, the people group known as the Samaritans. See, her story is actually cast in the middle of her own people's story. And the story of the Samaritan people was a sad story. A sad story about a people group searching for their own identity, confused about who they were, and confused about how to worship God. See, in 722 BC, Samaria, the home place of this group of people, uh, it was invaded, and it was conquered, and it was colonized by the great Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was not just this ruthless conquering machine, you can read about it in the history, in the history books, but they were also ruthless in how they colonized and subdued the native people that they had defeated. And, you know, they didn't want revolts. And so they thought, if we just confuse these people about their own national identity, then they will be divided and they won't be able to unify together to come and uh, throw us out. And so what they did was uh, they took some people from places like Samaria and they would take other people from other parts of the places that they had conquered, and they would force them to marry together, and then they would resettle them back into their lands as this interracial people group. 
And so the Samaritans, who were once a pure Israelite Hebrews, they became a mix of all different people groups uh, with different gods that they worshipped and different national identities. And that's the story of the Samaritan people. They became a people not just confused about who they were, but confused about who they worshipped. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And here, at this point, I want to ask the question too. Isn't this our story too? Isn't this the human story? Isn't the human story all about worshipping what we don't really know? A lot of the narrative nowadays is that people were not as religious before, you know, at least in the West. People are unsubscribing from religion and worshipping religion. But what's interesting and maybe not as well documented, documented uh, is that Australians, at least, they're still very spiritual. Uh, in the McCrindle, the McCrindle group, they do research a lot on, these, on the population of Australia. Uh, they said that only one-third of Australians don't identify with any religion or spiritual belief. One-third. So the majority of our nation still worship something. They may have swapped a religion with something you know, less mainstream, spirituality or something like that, but it still shows that we have a deeper longing for something that's beyond us, for something that's beyond the material, uh, something transcendent, something bigger than us, something deeper than us. And that's why people worship. We want to be accepted by something bigger than us. That's why humans have always worshipped. And yet confused worship can be just like drinking water again and again and again and remaining unsatisfied. The human story of worshipping something we don't really know is like this search to quench our thirst for something deeper, our quest to find something deeper, something to accept us. See, both the woman's story and the Samaritan people's story, they're reflections of our own story, our own story to find something deeper, to satisfy us, to, to quench our thirst, to fulfill us, to give us this lasting happiness that we're talking about. Now imagine you're doing an everyday errand, maybe something as mundane as going to get some groceries from Audi, and maybe you just want to just get in, get your stuff, and get out, right? And you might expect to bump into someone, there might be an awkward conversation that you have to do small talk with someone at the checkout. And that's about it, right? You don't expect any more. I wonder how the Samaritan woman felt being interrupted by Jesus that day. You know, maybe she had a busy day, full of errands, full of appointments, full of things to do. I wonder how she felt when Jesus interrupted her day. You know, it was he who started the conversation, wasn't it? He asked her for a drink, verse 7. He was the one who initiated. He was the one who interrupted her. Her encounter with Jesus that day was an interruption. Any encounter with Jesus can feel like an interruption. And it's an interruption partly because of who he is. Did you see in verse 10, Jesus says this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus inter he, he didn't interrupt her to get a drink for himself. 
He interrupted her because he actually wanted to give her a drink of something that only he can give. What is that? It's the living water, isn't it? The living water. Now, what is this living water? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 14. Uh, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Are you using that water and drinking metaphor? Jesus, what he's saying here is he's offering to quench her thirst forever. Her thirst, her thirst for something deeper. Uh, to quench that forever. She want, he, he, he's offering to end her quest, her search for that something deeper. Not just the living water, but the true worship. He offers to end her search, to end her confusion about worship. You see in verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. True worship of the Father. A God who you can know, who you can call Father. Worship of a God who accepts us. That is now possible. That's now possible only because of Jesus the Messiah. Now, a lot of, a lot of commentators on this passage make the point that in this story, Jesus, he crosses a lot of big cultural divides. You know, he is a Jew talking to a Samaritan, and I don't know if you picked it up, but there's a huge cultural barrier between these two people groups, um, Jews and Samaritans. But here, Jesus is a Jew talking to a Samaritan. And not, not just that, the commentators also say that this is a rabbi, an honored man in society, in Jewish society, talking to a shamed woman. There's another barrier across. And look, all that is true. Jesus, as you read the Gospels, he is someone who always breaks these social barriers. There's no one who is prevented from coming to him. And yet here in this story, there's actually a much greater barrier that Jesus crosses. There's an even greater divide that he bridges. And that's between creator and creature. Between the holy and those who are sinful. Between God and us. This is an encounter. The woman has an encounter with the divine Son of God, the Word incarnate, who was with God, who was God in the very beginning. And here in John chapter 4, not only does this Jesus, the divine Son, interrupt this woman's day to offer her the living waters of eternal life, his story interrupts her story. Do you notice at the very beginning of chapter 4, Jesus deliberately chooses to pass through Samaria. And he deliberately chooses to be at the well, at that well, at midday. He writes her into his story. He goes and seeks her out. His story interrupts her story. You know, like a light that shines into this chasm of darkness, Jesus breaks into this woman's story, into this woman's search and quest for water that satisfies, for worship that is true. And he fulfills all that she's looking for. You see how much joy and happiness she has when she finally finds that who Jesus is, uh, when, he, when she realizes what he's done for her. You know, the whole village knows about it. The whole village, that, you know, the same village that didn't really think much about her, come and say this at the end. We know that this man really is the savior of the world. And you know that this, all this is ours too. It can be ours too because of Jesus. 
this living water of eternal life, this true worship of the Father, this deep and lasting joy and happiness. See, if you already have faith in Christ, in this Jesus, you already have a relationship and this life of Jesus, do you know that it's yours? And it's only yours because Jesus first came to seek you. Jesus interrupted you. Jesus encountered you. And his gospel story broke into your story and changed it forever. But if you're someone who's not quite there with Jesus, I wonder if he's trying to interrupt your story too. I'm not sure what your own story might be. I'm not sure where you might have been searching for happiness and fulfillment. I don't know where you've been drinking this water and keep coming back thirsty. But I wonder if you're here at church for a reason, for a reason that I can't really explain. And I'm not sure whether you want your life to be interrupted by Jesus. It is a big interruption. But you know that as you hear his word in the Bible, even this story that you heard today, you are encountering Jesus, the same Jesus. We hear God as we hear, uh, we encounter God as we hear his word. And Jesus wants to interrupt your story too. He wants to give you this living water that only he can give to restore you into a a true worship relationship with your creator. He wants to be your savior. Will you let him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're the only one who can quench our thirst for this lasting happiness and fulfillment. You're the only one who can bring sinful people back into relationship with our holy creator. Thank you that you came to seek us. And by your spirit, help us to come to know deeply that you are the Messiah. You are the savior of the world. And that through you, we can worship the Father in truth. Amen.